like one tenth of the song so you owe me like the rest of it yeah well that ain't happening i don't have any money right. you, you, you're trying to pick the pocket of a teacher <laughs> anyway this is good morning comrade on whivlp new orleans 102.3 we have jeff robert here uh robert's back from his long foray oh, into dude. apparently what people are calling deep graw now what was, what is that about what is deep graw? i mean it's a real thing it's like have you ever gone to a music festival and you feel like oh this is not going to end like, I felt that way about... Um, That's Mardi Gras, though. That's, like, every year. That's the yeah, same thing. Yeah, like, I, I felt know. that way. I mean, I think it's just a feel. I have some stories, boy, that I hung out with a lot of cops. What? Um, yeah. I mean, we'll get into it later, but I, I t- like, I'll tell you this one thing, and then we'll go to the interview with our guest, but I just, it's been itching. Yeah, I've been telling everybody. So, like, NOPD... Like, they, they were awful, obviously, and, you know, obviously, like, ACAB and all that. But, like, there's a lot of people who are on, on NOPD who are good um, in not spite all, of being cops. cops. <laughs> no, like, in, they're, like, good people. Yeah. i tell you this little anecdote I heard. So it was Mardi Gras Day, and we're, like, underneath Claiborne blocking traffic. <laughs> I'm on my little, like, fire department truck, like, blocking traffic. And so there was, like, a, um, a, tra- a, a trans woman out there who is a known uh, sex worker. And so we're all coming back, like, for our debrief. And the one cop is like, man... You see that? I saw that girl out there. He's like, man, I saw that. Uh, he used a slur, but he's like, man, I saw them out oh, there. God. And I saw them out there, and like, I was like, ooh, what's that? And I came up on him. I said, like, oh man, that's a man. I said, oh my goodness. Other cop says, hey, bro, chill out. He goes, and I quote the other cop, right, full chest. He goes, big red out there. She ain't gonna do you nothing. She's just trying to make some Mardi Gras money. Yeah. And I said. In one sentence, this dude full-throatedly was like, one, use the correct pronouns. Okay, it wasn't like a huge deal. He didn't have to like print it out and, and like paste it on it, like, you know, like wear a sticker or something. Use the correct pronouns. And then understood that like sex work is a meaningless crime. I was like, trans rights, I guess. Like, progress. Yeah. So I was like, good for this guy. But I have more interesting anecdotes about NOPD. Hopefully. So um, we also have on the show Jack Reno Sweeney. Jack, uh, you want to do a quick intro for yourself? Uh, yeah. He's with the Bucket Brigade with DSA. Yeah, for sure. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Jack Reno Sweeney. Um, I'm a DSA member, um, active on the national and local level. And I work for the Louisiana Bucket Brigade here in town on uh, environmental issues. Yeah, it's your second time on the show, I think. You came yeah. on a while back uh, talk about... What was it we talked about? Uh, uh, we talked about Formosa. Formosa, that's right. That's it was, what it was. I think shortly after Ida, around the time the Army Corps had uh, froze their permits officially. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So what's going on, Jack? How you doing? What's I've up with good. this cold snap? Yeah, yeah. The cold snap's pretty crazy. The wind's freaking me out. Um, you know, it was like uh, I was getting like a hurricane level like window rattling in my house, you know. Yeah, and it's threatening your prized okra. My prized okra. Yeah, I've got to get some like tall stakes to, you know, brace big okra. like Big and, okra. Uh, and protect them from the wind in the future. But yeah, he's going on 16 feet. Yeah. 
Uh, so, so for those y'all don't know, uh, listening to the program, Jack has some kind of a record in terms of like growing the largest okra. Like, whoa. Yeah. Well, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I'm quite confident that I have the world record for tallest okra plant what? based on. Um, Did you get the Guinness people yeah, out to come I'm like measure it and stuff? Over. I'm trying to get them out. I'm trying to get them out. They better that's, hurry. That's why I'm doing this. Been doing a bit of a media offensive. <laughs> yeah, this but, is um, it. <laughs> Guinness, get yourselves down here. But uh, but yeah. So there was a when I first was like, man, I have a pretty tall okra plant. It was about nine or ten feet at the time. This was like in October, November of last year, mm-hmm. and I just Googled it, and someone had very recently in Oklahoma beaten the world record with thirteen feet, and so I was like, okay, well, once I get around thirteen feet, I'm gonna go contact Guinness, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and uh, yeah, it got to thirteen feet within like two months of that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and and now it's you know past the past the house next door. Yeah, you hear that? You hear that, kids? Anything is possible. Yeah, even the biggest okra. Yep, if you believe. What's your favorite way to prepare okra? Because I feel like okra is like it's one of those very contentious vegetables. It is. It's like love it or hate it. Like I had to finally come to peace with it. I don't know because I don't like it mushy, Mm -hmm. and I like even and like I can't eat it fried all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's like. But the air fryer has changed my life. Where I'll just cut up some okra and throw it in the air fryer with a little salt and pepper. And that's really good. But like, so what's your, what, like, what's your open putting gumbo tips? <laughs> gumbo is the best usage in my opinion. But, um, if you, what you're trying to avoid is like mushiness, a really yeah. great way to do it is just like, uh, you know, roast it simply like in olive oil, you know, oh, whatever yeah. seasonings you like, you, it, like, uh, if they're small enough, you don't have to worry about the slime and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it like tastes a lot different when it's like dry roasted like that. That's my thing. Yeah. yeah. But then there's also the more uncommon. Well, not uncommon, but I'm I'm a pickled okra lover. Oh yeah. And uh, when I was growing and just had so many okra popping off all the time, like my dad pointed out to me, you know, like you can totally eat them raw when they're small enough. Yeah. But they get real slimy. stiff when they're bigger. But right, yeah. right. They get too fibrous. It's really, really weird when they're big. But um, but yeah, you can just eat them raw when they're really small. And I got really into that. <laughs> it's like a like a little vegetal snack. <laughs> Well, I mean, we could talk about okra all day, but uh, we also could talk about uh, some of the stuff that we're kind of working on lately or some of the stuff that's kind of popping off in the news. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit bit last night about... I've been avoiding talking about this more than anything on the show. Like I did like a couple of weeks ago, a little spot on the war that's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now. But like it's almost become that like the, like the anti-war. It's, it's not like it's become that it's always been the case. But like anti-war positions just generally are just constantly frowned upon and constantly like looked at like actually you're the crazy person for not wanting the war. You know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, you're definitely right. Like when there's actually like a risk of you're war. the one that's purveying violence by advocating for no war. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like uh, it's it's always unpopular when it's actually relevant. But then mm-hmm. when there's no war going on, everyone's like, yeah, I hate yeah. war. The general sensibility um, of anti-war is like, wow. Yes, absolutely. How could you argue with that? But like when it comes to like actually opposing a war. 
yeah. like then you're, you're like, oh, you want there to be slaughter. You, you're you're either a Nazi for supporting the you know the Russians or for the Ukrainian nationals right. or whatever. You yeah. know, it's crazy. Let me ask you this because like I feel like this is this could be a point of contention in this room because I haven't been on the show in a while. I've been mm-hmm. itching to just like. I've been on just consuming too much media, but yeah. like, when, what is the anti-war position? Like, define the anti-war position in this in this war. And I'm going to try it not to poison the well before I give. Yeah, yeah, sure, totally. I'm basically for as far as I'm can, and I, and you can pick yeah, this up if you want too. But like for me, it is essentially to. Um, be knowledgeable of the U.S.'s accountability in what's going on here. One, not to discount the the actions of Russia, which is like invading is probably the worst thing that anybody's done in this entire sort of situation. And then two, to advocate for the U.S. to not make the thing worse because we live in the United States and we have the ability. I mean, essentially, we, we, we have our own government that we don't have any control over anyway, and especially when it comes to matters of war. But like definitely not like opening the door for the U.S. to start to make it harder for to do sanctions, make, make it harder to do um get it more involved, make it impossible to do a no-fly zone, which would literally just lead us down to World War Three. Jack, right. you want to take that? Yeah, you, you said a lot of the, the main points, but, like, uh, you know, to put in kind of, to break it down in, like, the simplest way for me, like, to be, to have an anti-war position on this, I think you need to be opposed to any kind of escalation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that includes things like, you know, mo- most famously, quote-unquote, lethal aid that they're calling yeah. it these days, you know, weapons shipments, uh, you know, uh, tanks, planes, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, it involves standing up for, uh, you know, our comrades mm-hmm. uh, across the world, you know, in Ukraine, in Russia, who are standing up against the war in their home countries. Totally. Um, you know, and to stand up for our comrades in Russia who oppose the war, that involves, you know, uh, opposing these broad sanctions. And they're literally getting just rounded up and thrown into prison yeah, for right. opposing the war. Right. And, uh, I mean, we keep seeing videos coming out of Ukraine of conscripts, you know, just young kids drafted into this fight who didn't even know they were headed over there until they were mm-hmm. already in Ukraine. Um, you know, the, the, it's, it's the working class, you know, regular folks who have no stake in this, who are mm-hmm. dying and who are going to suffer from the sanctions. And they're those who are best placed to, uh, you know, stop their government from continuing this really, really disgusting and tragic invasion. Mm-hmm. I'm really proud of our little corner of the, uh, the internet slash pod sphere, whatever, because that was like... That was like a nuance. That was like a nuance take because I haven't really talked to anybody in in a couple of weeks. I've been so busy, at least for almost a month now. Um, <laughs> but um, that is one of the best leftist takes I've heard because the mm-hmm. most I've quote unquote like leftist takes I've heard on this are just trash and terrible. To where it's like we've um, when I say we've just people have just boiled this down to some kind of weird like. Spectator sport. Oh, team sports. Uh, yeah. It's just like America bad, so Russia good. Let me let me try to defend the invasion of Russia, and then yeah. and I mean of Ukraine. And I was like, what What are you talking about? And then the yeah. other side is just, um, you know, Russia bad. Therefore, NATO don't good. even worry about Article Five. I don't. I don't think NATO's bad. Like that's something maybe we have contention on. Okay. But like, I'm happy to have that um, conversation. You know, um, uh, Russia bad. So. 
fire all the Minuteman, you know, ICBMs. And it's right. like, what? No. Like, that's that's right. stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, if you're going to have contention about NATO and about, like, NATO aggressively expanding, like, West, uh, like, Western, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Eastern, you mean? You mean Eastern? Well, I guess, I mean, because if you're going to say that America's spearheading NATO... Right, like if that's which is idea. almost indisputable that it is. Yeah, it is. If if we're going with that, and it's like it's to push like, you know, Western interests, like the U.S. interests across Europe. Like, okay, I'm I'm totally on board with that. Like, that's cool. Like, whatever you're, uh, I can imagine. Okay, so I'm this is I'm gonna do this thing I do with my wife, where I'm just gonna <laughs> imagine the fight we're gonna have, and then tell you your position, and then you can come back and tell me I'm wrong. But like. If you're going to tell me that, like, I'll probably agree with you about everything you say that, like, NATO is bad, but then, like, the underlying, like... We need to get Aaron on the show. The surface reason... this strategy, by the way. Yeah. That NATO <laughs> exists, it's, like, isn't, like, Russia is showing you why NATO on the surface should exist. Because they're saying that, well, we want our buffer state. And it's like, well, what? Are you, what? No. Well, so, I guess, I guess so, okay, and I'll let you go. Like, here, here's my thing, and you can you might laugh at this, and you can. here's my whole position. It's like no matter what you say about imagine a world, because France is a nuclear power, and we, sure. live, we live in New Orleans, we live in Louisiana. Imagine a world where France said, we're invading, and we're going to take over Louisiana because the um, Louisiana Purchase was a mistake. Should have never happened. People speak French there, so there are there are blood. And then also Donald Trump was president, and he's racist, and America's a racist country. Therefore, we're invading. And mm-hmm. the rest of the world is like, well, they got nukes. Like, what are we going to do? That's absolutely absurd. Okay. That's an absurd position. So let me just jump in real quick, and you can fill in if you want. But, like, I guess what, what, what I'm hearing from you is that you're saying that alliance of nations that, like, potentially make – like wars of conquest to be less likely is a good thing. And I don't disagree with that at all. However, like there is a specific, specific like arc to NATO uh, and specifically its foundation during the cold war. Mm-hmm. Uh, what his mandate was to essentially isolate Russia and Russia attempted to join NATO uh, in the 1960s and they were rebuffed because I mean, and, and it was essentially the reasoning for it was, where is an anti-communist yeah. Uh, yeah. alliance here, and so okay, Russia goes ahead and they create their own you know web of alliances, the Warsaw Pact, and then when all that falls apart in the 1990s, um, what is the point of NATO in that sense? It's essentially supposed to it's if it's a okay if it's supposed to be escalate. I mean, it's supposed to prevent wars of conquest. No, it's anti actually it's anti-communist. Okay, fine, communism at the state level dies. Um, so NATO still continues to exist on why. And then all of a sudden, you know, Russia, now the fact that it does, it has invaded Ukraine, now does give this sort of like wayward organization, this wayward alliance, the ability to point and say, oh, that's why we're that's here. What I'm saying. That's exactly. why we're. So, so like that wasn't necessarily the point of it's 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 sort of being brought up now as oh this is why we this is why we have nato right. now it's almost like a, a a re-brought up a re-sort of constituted uh finding of jesus or something on it comes to nato right yeah um i would add to that you know you got to look at the most recent uh times where NATO got involved with a conflict and that's Afghanistan and that's Libya and we've seen the awful things that are going on in those places now you know open air slave markets in Libya 
Um, Afghanistan, even more recent example of... Uh, <laughs> Literal street lynchings of heads of state, Gaddafi. Right. Yeah, yes. And, um, yeah, so that's a pretty bad track record, for one. Um, and, you know, some of NATO's biggest, uh, biggest cheerleaders, um, including Hillary Clinton have said they want to make Ukraine into another Afghanistan specifically, which is a <laughs> truly horrifying thought. Wanting an Afghanistan, like, wanting whoa, whoa, there to my, be... I don't, I'm not aware of that. What does that even mean? I don't understand. I mean, um, well, in my I, interpretation, yeah, in ahead. my interpretation, I would say it means a kind of... Uh, client state? Like a, no, not even uh, that. Just turning a state into a kind of um, battleground against a broader ideology. Yeah, the war on terror, that's terrorism. War. She wants a it to be a war zone war, for yeah. 20 years, like we yeah. did in Afghanistan and like Russia did in Afghanistan prior in the 1980s. And in, and in, the, case of Af in the case of Afghanistan and Iraq, those were also, you know, in a, in a really serious way, investments. Yeah. Investments in the military industrial complex, giving, a, giving it an outlet, a justification for its continued existence. Mm -hmm. Um and also, you know, it's like empire can only continue if you project the empire mm -hmm. as as far as you possibly can for mm -hmm. as long as you possibly can. It's uh, it's you know, like one of those. It's got to grow or it's gonna die. Exactly, exactly. Um, and you know the the reason why I think this is like it's undesirable for NATO to expand is because as it expands, you know, apart from Putin's specific motivations, right? If we know that the expansion of NATO um, drums up a kind of revanchist uh, paranoia in any in any uh, nation, mm -hmm. you know, you run the risk when you expand of turning every other state into a battleground right. and sacrificing those people in the name of this uh, conflict between, you know, if you want to call it this conflict between civilizations, East versus West, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the Ukrainians are the folks like, you know, being ground up mm -hmm. in the name of in the name of uh of expansion and control on both sides mm -hmm. in a big in a big sense. Um yeah, and uh so if and you you brought up Russia trying to join NATO in the 60s, even more recently, um in the year 2000, Bill Clinton's on his way out. Putin had just gotten in a little bit before Putin asked Bill Clinton if Russia could join yeah, NATO. That's true. And Bill Clinton said, you know, remember, he's on his way out of office. He said, personally, I would be in favor. Of course, that means nothing because yeah. he's on his way out. Lame but, Duck um, says, Lame Duck president who's like literally like one foot out the door is like, oh, yeah, sure. I believe it. Yeah. Exactly. But just imagine like if. if George W. Bush. Yeah. Imagine what how much different things would be today if we'd taken a different path in that moment. Right? Yeah. You know, like. Perhaps this conflict would be happening still, may, but it would certainly be a much more different situation, perhaps a much more manageable situation mm -hmm. if, uh, if we hadn't um, continued along that antagonistic path that we've become really used to since you know, the end of World War II. Yeah, and, and people forget that like, at the fall of the Cold War, like the United States propped up people like Yeltsin and then later Putin to mm -hmm. become right. the leaders in those states. And then as soon as they start to, uh, and again, this is not any apologia or defense of these people. They're, they're like literally what, what those two regimes did was carved up uh, the essentially public land and public 
uh, infrastructure of the Soviet Union and just doled it out to some gangsters, right? Mm-hmm. So these are not good people, to be yeah. 100% clear. But as soon as they start to try to go into business for themselves, which it was made easy for Russia, because if, you, if you're essentially saying that actually you're different than us, you're apart from us, then it's very easy for them, <clears throat> for them, to, for them to go in business for themselves and then start to, to, start to become a threat to that established order. And, you know, and again... Um, what ends up happening when you have this like weird aversion to allowing Russia to be a part of this, uh, to part of part of this military alliance? Like you're literally throwing that. Uh, I mean, and this is you know if I'm putting myself in the you know capitalist shoes here, um, but you're like literally pushing them closer to like China, who is actually an ideological like difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of. Uh foreign policy realists, you know, the type of people that I disagree with ideologically on just about everything, but who were saying, um, you know, either you join with China to combat Russia or you join with Russia to combat China. Right. And we've decided to do neither. Decided to do neither. Not, I think that we shouldn't be, no. <laughs> be fighting that's any of these people. basically like good, that, that, that's like good strategy at least. Right. But that the, the people who are supposed to know what they're doing um, on the capitalist side mm-hmm. uh, said that it would be a really bad idea to antagonize both. And, and mm-hmm. we did. I, I don't know, man. And like, no, I agree with, again, I agree with everything y'all are saying. Like 100%. And it's like... I'm just really happy that we we have nuance here. Um, but I, I'm actually, like, super concerned about this because from just, like, a... I, this, is, this is the most... If we have another, like, if there's another glow, like, if there is another World War... Th- the whole reason America is... Became the empire it is is because World War II didn't touch us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we were able, we had all our infrastructure and we were able to become the world currency and all this. But it's like another world war, like obviously we're talking, if not the end of the world, we're talking, it's going to touch us. And I'm like super concerned about it. And what you said earlier about turning, uh, about um, Ukraine becoming Afghanistan, I don't think there's, uh, if Hillary Clinton said that she's going to get her way because I don't think there's any way that's not going to happen now. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Russia does or doesn't do, or what the United States does or doesn't do. Like, all those weapons are still are out there. Mm-hmm. There's going. We, you know, NATO and also Russia. More, you know, more Russia. The NATO have have cursed that country to just a civil war that's going to break out because they're not going to hand those. They're not going to hand those javelins and those those AK-47s back. All these little separatist groups are going to are going to get them. And I can't wait to see like the fresh hell that's going to arise out of this. It's it's going to be it's going to be super terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I'm just I don't, I honestly don't know what to like. Usually I have like especially about this kind of stuff have like super opinions. Like this is what needs to be done. But it's like you can't do anything. I, it's like yep. you can't let Russia have like they already have Crimea. You can't let them have the Donbass because I hate to be hyperbolic, but I really don't. I, this is the same kind of stuff Hitler did, but it's like this is Hitler with nukes. He would say, oh, I'm going to push into here because blood and soil, and we'll take this. And then that line's not good enough, and then you keep going. And I don't know how to not give to, you know, say, hey, Russia, you can't do this. You're not going to have the Donbass. And then also give 
Russia an off ramp, uh, give them a W. They they need some kind of a win. And what I mean by that is, you can't make them desperate. You need them somehow to like be able to save face and be able yeah. to withdraw. And it's like how how you do that? How do you how do you give them some kind of a moral victory so things don't escalate and you don't have a desperate nuclear power that's been cut off from the rest of the world, but then also don't give them material victory? Well, I tell you I what's know. not going to do it is sanctions on the Russian people because no, that, what that's going to end up doing is I mean again well they're hoping for a revolution it, yeah that's which not gonna is gonna never going to happen it's not going to come and like no. for, like for, for, for various reasons I mean like that's 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 not the point of them even the, 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 right. these people know exactly what it's going to be what it, what it ends up doing is it is it um i mean again if you want to take away the yachts of russian oligarchs or whatever go for it uh, take teams. the americans uh Ru- the american oligarchs Russian yeah, uh, yachts a, too yeah, take all of their but like when it comes down to to the you know shipment of goods and it comes to uh oil gas all these other things like then we're in a, like a very serious problem and you're you're seeing it right now i mean get, the price of gas has doubled in the past 3 weeks you know well it should be noted um hey Cully. Should be noted that uh, the price of gas, the immediate increase we're seeing, is not because there's a lack of supply of no, gas. No, this is all this is all spe- like more or less this speculative. Is, this is this is uh, this is Jack's wheelhouse, by the yeah, way. A this, little bit, yeah, a little bit. This is um, you know, the the price increase we're seeing now is on the side of our local oligarchs. Yeah, they know that they yeah, can American start oligarchs charging do it early, too. so they're doing it now. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the oil and gas angle to this is huge. One thing, in addition to taking, you know, uh, billionaires' yachts and soccer teams and whatever (laughs) else, is, um, you know, we can stop being so dang cozy with specifically the oil and gas industry and all of their, uh, you know, aims within Russia. You know, Rosneft, the state-owned Russian oil company, was 20% owned by BP and ExxonMobil. I just found out very recently that Sitgo over in um, Lake Charles is 49.9% owned by Rosneft. And the rest <laughs> actually, believe it or not, is owned by the government of Venezuela. Venezuela. What? Yeah. Sitgo. Yeah. There's a guy that works at the Bucket Brigade who knew some of the guys in the Sitgo 6 that just got mm-hmm. released. But that's a whole other thing. But, um, you know, so and like the, the, the thing you hear a lot on the environmental side is Putin's weaponization of oil and gas, mm-hmm. which is something we've enabled, you know? We do it ourselves. We do we it ourselves. Weaponizes, the United States weapons, weaponizes oil and gas like as a matter of course. Absolutely. And Ilan Omar did a really great job in her statement when she uh, voted against sanctions on Russian oil. She pointed out, if we put sanctions on Russian oil, driving up the price, the places where the Russian government can still sell oil, they'll begin be able to sell it at a higher price. Yeah. So it's counterproductive to what they even say it is. But... um. You know, but here locally, our oligarchs are using this as an excuse to promote more drilling, uh, more natural gas export terminals, with they, which they've been trying to push here in Louisiana for ages and ages. Um, so, yeah, we're really very much touched by the implications of yeah. the economic sanctions and everything coming out of this war. And there are people here that are more or less cheerleading, not for any particular side, but for the war itself. Yeah. You know, because a lot of it, liberals too. A lot of liberals, um, you know, uh, a hell of a lot of conservatives here. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're, they're in support of the war generally because mm-hmm. of, it helps their bottom line. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, this is my, the, here, here's my like 
snarky hot take. We've been waiting for one all morning. <laughs> Um, it's almost like if we had a, uh, somebody was pushing a comprehensive plan to get off fossil fuels and we could have a snappy name for it, like the mm-hmm. Green New Deal, the Green Dream or whatever, yep. we could like, that, that's a thing that could happen. Yep. And it's almost like, it's almost like socialism's the answer again. It's always like the answer. If we yeah. just nationalize the oil companies. Oh yeah. We wouldn't have to worry about this. Oh yeah. Like what? what? You mm-hmm. know, it's like they don't want to drill because you're asking a company, you're asking these oil companies who are not immoral, they're amoral. They don't have mm-hmm. any, they don't have any morality past their bottom line to right. do what's right, to lower prices for the consumer. What sense does that make as a company? Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can control the supply and then sell your goods at a higher price, that's what you're going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a good distinction, not immoral, but amoral, yeah. but you know. Either way, it's really disgusting when yeah. you see them taking advantage of this um, sentiment like, oh, I'm okay paying for higher oil, for higher gas prices because that's my, that's the cost of uh, standing with the people of Ukraine. <sighs> you're not standing with the people of Ukraine when you pay more for gas. You're standing with, you know, BP, ExxonMobil, yeah. Shell, et cetera. Because like I said, the price increase is just because they know that like they can start selling it now. Like are they, they're not sacrificing anything for the people of right. Ukraine. I can tell you that much. That is the most lib sentiment I've ever heard in my entire life, by the way. It is. It is. It is. <laughs> but like the uh, other sort of line that goes with that, too, is that, I mean, again, rich, like media class liberals can say that. Right. Oh, I'll, I'm happy to pay, you know, more more of my piles of money right. to uh, do it. But when it comes to actual working people like. I'm looking about myself in this situation and yeah. I'm not rich, right? I am going to probably have to like make some serious, genuine sacrifices yeah. in my life because the price of gas just doubled yeah. and my truck, you, you saw my car when I drove you here today, but my truck is a gas guzzler and it, it, it literally just like cost me $60 to fill up the other day and that lasts me two weeks. Right. So I'm and, just going to be. And when hurting. gas goes up. Everything goes up. Yeah, right? and, and, and remember that. And when that, and when everything else goes up besides gas, those prices don't come down mm-hmm. either. Correct. Correct. Oh, and it, and also it's like a lot of these where these like weird conservatives and the weird liberals are aligning is just to go back to like not even just like I'm doing my part mm-hmm. paying six dollars for gas. It's like you. Because we live here in America and because our history is of, you know, send send American men and women into conflicts and they'll never touch here at home. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have any kind of concept of what an actual like war economy mm-hmm. like we don't have like you'd have to literally talk to, you know, um, people like my grandfather who passed a couple years mm-hmm. ago who were had had to have gas ration stamps for world war ii and like collecting tin and rationing stuff. rubber growing yeah and growing a victory garden and like all that like people here aren't ready like they're not ready to do that like we're no. not we're not we're not in the mindset if i can't go to, to tgi that. fridays and get my potato skins exactly. i'm gonna be very you upset. saw what happened with covid like yeah. you know you had to wear a mask and like P- and get a and get a vaccine that would save people's lives and people you know, are out out in the streets over over stupid stuff. 
And so we're not ready. We're not ready to actually really tighten our belts here. And that's under mm-hmm. the best case scenario where we don't include like nuclear holocaust. Right. Like that's the best. The best case scenario is we go into like a depression, a serious depression, and then all of our we do get involved in Ukraine and then everybody decides, okay, we're going to leave the nukes at home and then we're just going to duke it out. That's under the best case scenario. We're in a, a, a huge economic and the best depression. case like war scenario. Yeah, war. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, and but like the worst case scenario is just like Russia's like, well, we're back into a corner, and you know what? I'm just going to end the world. And or America's like, we feel that you're back into a corner, and we're just going to nuclear first strike you, which is meaningless because we can't get to your submarines anyway. Because your submarines are, you know, miles under the ocean, we can't find them, and they're getting they're getting theirs off. Yeah, war would be bad. Yeah, we're all dead. Like, I hate to be like, yeah, but there's no part in a, in a, in a full nuclear exchange of America. There's nowhere to go. Even if you're in a bunker, you're dead because they're going to starve you out. Not if you ask uh, some of these high-profile libs, though, Absolutely like no not. opinion on Twitter. Yeah, some some really deranged stuff like, know. oh, nuclear winter is just a theory. Yeah, yeah look, your mind. look, maybe you, like, maybe you weak cowards would would not survive the nuclear holocaust, I but know. I sure would. Yeah. Like, Jeff knows my media habits, and they're not healthy, so I just <laughs> go down these like very unhealthy um, rabbit holes, like, and I'm just like, oh, l- let's look at like what nuclear war would actually be. And it's the total destruction of the world. Yeah. Like, there's no place in America that that would be safe because how it works is, okay, we're in New Orleans. We are not, uh, we're not first strike, but we're second because we have, um, we have Bell Chase um, Naval Air Station and we're a, a population center. So when we say we're not first strike, that means we're not dead in an hour. We're dead in two hours. Cool. And then after that, after what are we gonna they, do in that hour? I know, right? <laughs> and then Let's after the that, hello party. What happened? Well, I, you know, I'm Montana man, and I live, I live out in the mountains. Well, the thing is, after that, the the rest of the nukes are going to be focused at raising the uh, farmland. Mm-hmm. You better learn like, how to live off the land. Now, no, right there's fast. no land to live off of. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's there's because they're like, okay, we have to hit all the all the places where you could grow food. It all has the rest to be glass. Yeah. It, it, we're all dead. We're all dead. And it's just like, I don't think I'll understand how like real of a possibility that is. That's why I was like, we have to give, we have to give Russia some kind of an off ramp. We cannot make them mm-hmm. feel like they're back into a corner here because they're losing and they need to lose. They need to lose, but they need to lose with some kind of grace. I, I mean, the only thing, the only, I don't care if Russia wins or loses, the biggest possible L is nuclear war. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, like whatever. I don't, I mean, loud, put me, quote me on it, put it on a bumper sticker. But like, there's no bigger L than, like, any further escalation and getting in, in, like, more U.S. involvement. Yeah, but do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, the point is, so if you start going down that road and now you're talking about the madman theory mm-hmm. to where it's like, well, he'll just, again, hate to do the Hitler thing, but he'll just replicate that. And he'll just push further and further. And it's like, yeah, I hate that our empire has to be, has to keep their empire in check. Are there, they're, you know, because you're talking about a guy who wants to reform the Soviet Union, who, which is, you know, we all. Does he want to reform the Soviet Union? Yes, he's literally said that. And well, he's, I, he's more fond of 
the Russian Empire of yeah. say Peter okay. the Great, okay. which is an important fair, difference. Fair, like, fair. Like, yes, uh, that is an important yeah. difference. Yeah, there was actually a news lady. I can't think of her name because I know we all meme about like the Soviet Union because we're all leftists and socialists and communists and all that. And um, it's really sad that like what the. I guess what Russia used to be, especially as somebody who was black, like if you want to get at the West and you want to like actually create like, hey, like a wet, you know, we don't like your, um, we don't like your 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 empire or your your goals of empire, America. Look what we're doing. We're gonna make you look bad. Is like how the Soviet Union like treated black people to where they had a whole. If you want to run propaganda, they had a whole propaganda thing of just like, hey, you know how like they brought you here as slaves and it was terrible and they still treat you like garbage. Like come to the Soviet union and mm -hmm. you'll be our comrades. And like a lot of like, there was a black like intellectual class that like went to the Soviet union and like lived there yeah. because they were treated as, they were treated as equals. And it was just so sad that that country like got away from that. And it, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that's our fault. Well, and, and, um, and, 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 and that's significantly different than what we have in, in Russia now, yeah, which, is the yeah. which is a gangster yeah. capitalist exactly. oligarchy. You absolutely. Know? It's like, it's so sad because I know like in Russia was an empire you know they had i mean soviet union was an empire they they did wars of conquest in mm -hmm. afghanistan but it's just like man they were so there were so many points about that like they were so close yeah to like getting it right and they didn't and again it's just we cannot we can't boil this down to america good russia bad or like vice versa like i hate that one empire has to keep another empire in check but you just can't invade sovereign countries like you you cannot do that like mm -hmm. if any anybody and we do that and people are like what about palestine i'm like yes yes like yes mm -hmm. kick kick the uh, israelis out of the west bank mm -hmm. like give it back to the palestinians what about this what about that yes absolutely absolutely like it's all bad just because I live here doesn't mean I can't mm -hmm. call it bad when America does the same thing, but I can't ignore and be like, oh, this is also bad. Like you can, just because I live in a country that has an empire, mm -hmm. I don't want other empires running ruckshot over other sovereign mm -hmm. countries. All right. I, I and just the, it's so hard about that for so many yeah. people. And it, it's, it's team sports and it's, it's a, a, a function of uh, sort of like powerlessness. Um, I do want to move on to yeah. uh, an any war rally that, Jack was a part of organizing a little bit ago. Before we do that, I want to go. I want to uh, go to Station ID. You are listening to WHIV LP New Orleans one two point three. This is Good Morning Comrade. We have Jeff and Robert in the studio, and Jack Reno Sweeney joining us. So, Jack, you, um, as part of uh, Democratic Socialists of America, uh, were part of organizing a uh, anti-war rally in this uh, in the city mm -hmm. weeks ago. Yep, and. Um, it involves some other socialist organizations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So. That was, you know, uh, probably a couple weeks before the invasion itself. Yeah, probably two weeks um, before, so yeah, about a month and a half or so ago. Right, very much. We and we all were very much operating from the perspective that, in all likelihood, there would be no invasion. So it's kind of crazy to look back on now, but yeah. So we did that. Um, I was approached by someone from CPUSA, Communist Party USA, who just started a uh, a chapter here in Louisiana. And uh, we got together with members of FRSO, Freedom Road Socialist Organization, and PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation. And we got to meeting and trying to plan out an anti-war rally, um, a coalition rally, uh, which went off like without a hitch. It was a pretty small rally, but it was like one of the first kind of in-person things DSA has been involved with for a while. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a while in general since there's been mm -hmm. like any kind of like rally or street action in town. Oh um, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
more like really since uh, summer 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it kind of, uh, took off in a way I really didn't expect it um, because uh, uh, because uh, it turns out like uh, a kind of coalition between this many organizations hasn't in the United States hasn't really ever happened. I, I, that was like the most kind of incredible thing because like I don't know I ha- I harbor some of these sentiments too so I'm not like throwing stones at people but like sometimes you know people within DSA will say negative things about like Either, any of those organizations right. um, and like this this was something that actually gave me a lot of hope because it actually did show okay we actually are on the same side in this mm-hmm. in this fight yeah it's it's like very left unity is a thing actually yeah, yeah like it's it's important to you know be open and honest about the distinctions between the organizations and differences of ideological opinion <laughs> and you know analysis but it's equally important, if not more important, to you know be loud and proud about where there's alignment, mm-hmm. because so much yeah. of the last century of the left in the United States is characterized by this division. Now, in retrospect, we know a lot of that, uh, you know, spurred on by uh, forces of our <laughs> inside our government. Yeah. Um, but honestly, a lot of it was you know our own fault. Mm-hmm. I, I say our as the broad left, but um. It's, uh, I think it's very important to kind of turn a new page in this new century with a completely new context, a new playing field in a lot of ways. Um, acknowledge those areas of alignment and instead of, and basically my whole theory of this, instead of fighting with each other for a slim sliver of people who already consider themselves left or socialist mm-hmm. or whatever, um, you know, kind of having a truce between each other and using our own distinct methods to, you know, <laughs> consciousness raise among those who aren't already on board because, yeah. it, you know, we, if we're all competing for the same people, that's a losing strategy. That's a total L. Exactly. We should be, you know, experimenting and trying out new things and new ways of, of building the movement and learning from each other. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. Uh, you ever see the movie, the warriors? Of course. Yes. Yeah. It seemed yeah. that Cyrus was when he was given the uh, the speech talking about like all he had had all gangs come together mm-hmm. into the stadium or whatever, and he's like talking about all these gangs fighting over their like little you know square of turf. It's like yeah. that's what it sort of reminds yeah. me of. That's a, that's a great <laughs> parallel. Yeah. <laughs> like if we all join together, we could outnumber the cops by two to one or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. At the, at the end of the day, you know, every amount like you know. That's a great movie. <laughs> like left, left, uh, intra left conflict, you know, should be your impulse should be to avoid it. Um, and or, to, or if you're going to address it, address it in a way that is like constructive yeah, and that doesn't yeah, like that's a better way of putting it. And it's not like so the thing that I hate the most, uh, right now, like with the way that we talk about it, somebody just like will say something that is indisputably dumb or bad, and I do this too. And then, and then essentially they just get dunked on on the internet, you know, mm-hmm. like just dunk on them on Twitter, yeah. dunk down on your Twitch stream or whatever, dunk on them in your YouTube video. And like, this is just like some, you know, nerd with 25 followers or something right, like yeah. that who had a terrible time. We're all guilty of it. We're yeah. Guilty yeah. Of it. I've definitely done it. But like, yeah, like let's, let's save that stuff for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Let's save that stuff for, um... For Victoria Newland and, and Robert Kagan and like the actual demons that yeah. exist in the world, I guess you could say. Anthony Blinken. And yeah, exactly. Like your favorites, even if your favorite streamer has the same exact position as the U.S. State Department, I guess you could say. <laughs> like, there's got to be a way to address that with them. That's like, I mean, it's a. I, 
my wife and I were talking about this just last night. Um, like, I feel like, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, go for the new. Uh, pardon my language. You shouldn't go for the nuclear option here. <laughs> it is pronounced um, nuclear. Yeah, you shouldn't go for that. And but. I think when you're like when your comrades when you're like good faith comrades have bad takes like you're allowed to be annoyed but then also they're like you don't even have you don't have to voice that like they could be in the same somebody will tell them what so nobody <laughs> does somebody need to tell them somebody will we used to talk about this I remember we used to talk about um, with DSA meetings when when our favorite when the D, the the post DSA meeting bar P rogues was still open. All right, and I used to have I used to try to have a thing going where I'd be like where things would start getting out of hand. I'm like, is this a is this a general meeting conversation? Because this is sounding like a P rogues conversation. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a conversation where we all just have like Miller high lifes and just rant. Mm-hmm. This doesn't sound productive. Right. Which that's fine. Like if you want to like if you want to be like you know what Joe said, man, Joe's so silly. Like he's, yeah, the bar he, is for he's talking stupid. Crap. Yeah, but yeah. like at the end of the day, like he's good faith or whatever. He's still with us. We we're having this talk last night. Where it was just like, um, what? Uh, Vouch and you know, internet streamer Vouch was like a lot of people don't like, and my wife doesn't like. Got into it with like known turf J.K. Rowling, oh, and yeah. it's like the biggest like let him fight. And, and she's like, I don't know why you like that guy. And I'm like, I do like him because he fills a purpose. Like his whole purpose is to um, to like beat down reactionary conservative debate bros. So that's why he's like the he's like a smarmy debate bro. He's like, a you know, he's a, he's a guy that's going to like, well, actually he's he's the answer to that. Well, actually kind of guy. And, you know, like neckbeard guy, and there's not a ton of people who can do that, so he fits a need like in our little weird leftist sphere. And like, you don't have to like everything he says, but just understand like, would you sit there and listen to Noam Chomsky? I'm like, you know, I tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, she's like, I don't know why you like people like that. I'm like, well, do you sit there and listen to Noam Chomsky all day? And she's like, no. I'm like, yeah, neither do I, because it's boring. It's boring. <laughs> that's not, but that's a, there's a time and a place for that. Mm-hmm. But it's not for everybody all the time. Like different people are going to be able to reach different people. And as long as we can align on like the important stuff, though, like our red lines of like this, this, these are the rails, like these are our, our core principles, then they're fine. They can be annoying. Like you don't have to agree with everything. Just have some unity. Like we all sit in here and we're just talking about like, you know, I'm not necessarily against if there's a way for the U.S. to get involved in Ukraine without setting off World War III and nuclear holocaust, I wouldn't be against that. You guys are. But we can, like, talk about it and be like, eh. I'll it's, not, it's not even, like, an agree to disagree thing. I, I, I'll, it's I'll, not can't, even I, I'll cancel you on Twitter later. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not even, like, a patronizing thing. It's, like, it's not even, like, agree to disagree. It's, like, well, that's fine. Like, you know, like, we, we literally don't have we the power do to anything do anything anyway. about it. Yeah. And these aren't one of our core principles. So why are we getting so mad at each other, you know? Yeah. So anyway, uh, you want to say something, Jack? No, no. Okay, well, I did want to uh, pause for Station ID real quick, and uh, we can talk a little bit about your work with the Bucket Brigade and something you have coming up as well. Um, but really quick, you're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we got Jeff and Robert in the studio. We also have our guest, Jack Reno Sweeney, uh, with the Louisiana Bucket Brigade, or he's uh, he works for the Louisiana Bucket Brigade. Um you mentioned something about uh, an uh, event that's happening in Lake Charles uh, and something with that LNG. Yes. So this actually ties back neatly into our uh, conversation about oil and gas in Russia. Um, so on uh, 
the 17th, so I believe that's Thursday, St. Patrick's Day, um, there's a air permit hearing in Cameron, just outside of Lake Charles, for a proposed LNG terminal, export terminal, called a Commonwealth LNG. Um, these and what is that LNG for people that might not know? Right, thank you. Um, LNG is liquid natural gas, so... Um, you know, uh, they're, they're facilities that condense it into a liquid so you can pump it into a tank, ship it on a ship. Um, their hope is that uh, American LNG exports can replace uh, pipelined-in gas from Russia in Europe. Um, so that's why uh, there's a real local uh, connection to this conflict and why, mm-hmm. it's very, why oil and gas is very invested in this. It's kind of like their last-ditch effort at maintaining relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the 17th at 6 o'clock, there's an air permit hearing with the Louisiana Department of Environmental Quality. And hardly anyone shows up to these meetings. And those that do are often the people uh, they're representing industry, usually straight-up employees or spokespeople. And uh, they'll send, you know, five or so, and that usually is enough to drown out any anybody who shows up. But we're trying to get a group of folks, um, you know, to show out in force. And uh, we're arranging for some transportation for folks coming from New Orleans. And we've got, we now have a staff member in Lake Charles who's organizing folks locally to come. Um, And uh, hopefully we'll be able to show out loud and proud. And uh, if not, you know, I expect LDQ to just rubber stamp the permit because it's what they always do, but at least make it a lot more difficult for uh, Commonwealth to, um, as they get the rest of their permits, to make the case to the Army Corps, to make the case to uh, the local um, taxing authorities, et cetera. You know, kind of putting up more and more roadblocks to hope with the hope that Eventually, that'll side. Uh, it's too much of a of a risk to <laughs> to bother investing, which is the kind of uh, more or less what's what's happening with Formosa right now. They're in a process of deciding whether or not the continued investment is worth the risk of the opposition. Um, right, they, they, you, yeah. you're forcing them into a uh, situation where they have to make a cost benefit analysis, essentially. Exactly, exactly, and. Uh, there's also an economic argument. They're trying to they're trying to build like like at least seven are in the permitting process of these export terminals in the same area, which mm-hmm. is kind of a crazy number. Um, you know they're reacting to an immediate demand, but much like with plastics production, um, as these plants come online, there's going to be supply and eventually oversupply, mm-hmm. and they're really really banking on exports to Europe. But because of this conflict in uh, uh, with uh, in Ukraine, um, a lot of these European countries are actually moving up their timescales for coming off of uh, of fossil fuels, including natural gas. Really? Like Germany, uh, as part of their uh, response to the Russian invasion, moved up their time frame for 100% renewables from 2050 to 2035. Huh. That's a which Silver is a, which is an extremely good. <laughs> if there was more of that, yeah, uh, in reaction to this conflict, we'd be in a much better place, I think. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I never thought of that. So, so war is good, actually. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just saying there are much better ways to react to a war than those broad sanctions on the regular Russian folks. You yeah. Know, go after the oligarchs. Go after the oil companies. You know that 
that gets, you know, the actual elites where it hurts. That's yeah. where they start to, that's where the, you know, that's where you start getting into conversations about a palace coup when, mm -hmm. you know, the folks in Russia. All the crazy talk. Exactly, exactly. But, um, but yeah, so this fight against LNG here in Louisiana is very important to the global green transition. And uh, this is, like I said, they're very desperate right now. They really need to push this. They really need to try to get this in through the door before it's too late because the window is rapidly closing. And mm -hmm. with every country in Europe that moves up their time frame a bit, the window closes even more because mm -hmm. if they can't count on profit like into the future, like mm -hmm. beyond 2035, you know, the economic outlook, the justification for building these uh, decreases over time. And, uh, you know, the, the, the costs of just this, of abandoned or decrepit infrastructure being built and just like abandoned or going out of business is, it's huge. There's the environmental impact of things like pipelines and all that, yeah. that get abandoned. But also, you know, they love to talk about job creation, but really they're just going to be stranding the few people they do end up hiring because they'll be out of business or have to do layoffs in a few years. And that puts, you know, parish governments, mm -hmm. workers in a terrible position. Right. Um, yeah. The, the herky-jerky transition is not a transition. It's just like, it's literally just y'all are all fired. We got nothing for you. We're doing something else over here. We're starting from literal scratch, yep. which like. If you're if you want to do it in an anti labor way, that's a good way to do it, I guess. Right. I mean, there there's going to be a transition, an whether, unjust transition, exactly. I guess you could call the, it. The transition is going to happen. It's yeah. either going to be just or unjust, and it's either going to be now or later. If we do it now, the costs are going to be much lower, both yeah. in terms of human life, in terms of environmental impact, and in terms of you know the whole wide world. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of like like workers actually being able to get a job that is that 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 is potentially a union job mm -hmm. that has that that makes more money, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's a that's another part of the the the, the just transition that I right. think. Like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like when people talk about the idea of the just transition, I think a lot of times people's eyes kind of glaze over and right. like they, they sort of see it as something that's almost like completely and utterly abstract right. because it's, and this is a, a critique that I've, I've had of the Green New Deal that, that even um, the, the FLCIO has put forward uh, and a lot of people were not, not okay with this, but I, I kind of, I kind of agree with them that there was not a whole lot of specificity when it came to the just transition one. And then two, they heard all this stuff from politicians before. Oh yes, we'll transition and create all these great new jobs and got completely lied to. So like right. I get it from both of those perspectives too. And, and right. you need to have a lot more sort of say by, you know, the representat representatives of unions, which are of workers, which are unions. Right. It is really ridiculous. I mean, we saw this in the pandemic too, but every time the state government, local governments, whatever, call a commission to talk about, you know, the economic future of a place. They call the, they call in the business leaders, you know, the titans of industry, never any representatives never workers. of yeah. unions, which is absolutely essential to making sure this works. But it is true that like the, so many of the jobs in transition are perfectly suited to the, to the skills of oil and gas workers we have out here in Louisiana. We have perfect infrastructure, uh, for offshore wind because we already have the infrastructure for supporting offshore oil rigs. You know, mm -hmm. I'm talking like things like caterers because they need chefs, you know, people who can run supplies, all that. We have all of that already in place. So we're 
perfectly placed for the transition. Um, but if labor is not incorporated in the talks of the specifics of how that goes, they're going to get forgotten like mm-hmm. they do every time they're not in, they're not in the room where they're going to Which, in, which to a certain extent is the goal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So as we wrap up, and you talked a little bit about wind energy, and I saw that there was, uh, I, I keep hearing this, this thing, and, and I think there was a speech, or it was a, no, it was an interview that Donald Trump did with like some random dudes, and they were talking about green energy, and he talked about the birds yeah. that are like hit by the, <laughs> by the windmills and stuff. Like, well, so I have to ask you this question. What about the birds, Jack? What about the birds? <laughs> Why what do you about, hate the birds? <laughs> Why do I hate the birds? Uh, I don't hate the birds. I don't hate the birds one bit. I'll tell you one thing that's worse for the birds is, uh, you know, they all, 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 basically every bird that migrates from North to South America goes through Louisiana, right? Yeah. And a lot of birds here. Yeah. And so if they, and a lot of them go through these very, very vulnerable marshes where we're building gas export <laughs> terminals and where we're flaring all sorts of chemicals, all sorts of natural gas uh, uh, byproducts and excess. And uh, th- so, you know, so since they're migratory, right, they bring all that pollution all the way across yeah. everywhere. You know, when it comes to a windmill, Birds are able to, you know, navigate around <laughs> rather easily. It seems Donald Trump thinks they kind of work like fans that yeah. like, suck in birds. He saw he saw the Incredibles and what happened to like the, the syndrome. Cape. Yeah, and he, he's like, oh no, not the birds. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. Well, we got to wrap it up. But uh, thanks so much, Jack. You're welcome to come back anytime you want. Thank Robert, you anything to say on the way out, you guys? No. Um, it, it would be. I didn't want to bring it up, but I'm glad we did. It's like. If the only silver line, if the silver lining is because you know people are dying in Ukraine um, and young conscripts of Russian conscripts are dying, but if we're gonna, you know, any kind of silver lining, if we could turn this into an excuse to get off of fossil fuels and uh, normalize uh, relations with Venezuela, um, that would be something. That yeah, like be. like Biden is like scraping and go, and like bowing and scraping to Maduro now. What's going mm-hmm. on there? I love it. Juan Guaido is crying and throwing up. <laughs> It's true. All right. Well, thanks, uh, y'all. We're going to have to get out of here. We got Red and Russ coming up next. But uh, thank you all so much for for hopping in here. And thank you for everybody listening to Good Morning Comrade. Uh, We love you. Goodbye. (laughs) 